Therapy Cafe Podcast, Episode 2. Today, we have Mike Wells, who I've worked with personally for the last three years as clinical oversight with the local 1619 peer support team. Mike is a 14-year veteran career firefighter working in Prince George's County, Maryland. His love of the fire service began as a young boy riding along with his dad, a former volunteer captain in their hometown of Wallingford, Connecticut, where Mike later became a junior volunteer. In 2016, Mike was one of the founders of PGFD's Labor Union's peer support team. He has served as coordinator for the program and has been a master instructor for the International Association of Firefighters, known as the IAFF's peer support program since 2018, teaching and consulting internationally. Through the IAFF, Mike has deployed across the United States following natural disasters and line-of-duty deaths, supporting his brothers and sisters of the fire service in their time of need. Currently, Mike has broadened his work beyond the IAFF local, working full-time for Prince George's County Fire Department to ensure that the peer support program and behavioral health are accessible to all of its 3,000 members. Let's begin. Okay. I am so excited today to have Mike Wells as the very first guest on the Therapy Cafe podcast. It's very fitting, Mike, isn't it? It is. We've uh, we've done a lot of work together, so yes. the fact that I'm your first guest is uh, it's an honor. I'm excited. <laughs> well, for, I'm, I'm excited for you. The feeling is mutual. I'm honored to have you on here. Um, so, Mike, take it away. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. How did you get to uh, do this work and become a firefighter? Well, I think um, if you were to tell me, I'd be sitting on a podcast right now talking about behavioral health way back when. I would uh, tell you that you need a therapist. <laughs> because there must be something wrong with you. Um, <laughs> now, I, uh, where, where I started, I grew up in uh, Connecticut, Wallingford, Connecticut. My father was a volunteer firefighter. Uh, I remember fond memories of my childhood uh, in running around a firehouse. I remember uh, Hurricane Andrew. My dad went out on a call and left me in the firehouse by myself with hurricane force winds, and my mom drove past trying to get home from work and found me alone at the age of like five by myself in the firehouse. So it runs in my blood. I'm, uh, I'm actually third generation. My, my grandfather's uncle was a firefighter in the city of New Haven, Connecticut. Um, the day after I graduated high school, I moved to Maryland. I lived in a firehouse. Uh, there's a live-in program um, all over Prince George's County. There's multiple programs out there, but the one that I Attended was with the College Park Volunteer Fire Department. Uh, I lived in a firehouse in exchange for board while I went to school and while I worked, which that's a whole another segment for your podcast on another day. Uh, in 2006, uh, my junior year, uh, going against the advice of my mother, I got hired. I took a job with Prince George's County Fire Department. I always wanted to be a firefighter. My goal was to move back to Connecticut, but the opportunity presented itself. I got hired. And from there, kind of, my career started. Uh, I spent most of my career in operations. Uh, I've done uh, everything from driving uh, fire engines to ladder trucks, being a backstep person, riding an ambulance, uh, just like everybody else. In uh, 2016, how I how I got into peer support was to pay back uh, my brothers and sisters. Uh, 
I had just uh, gotten into a hiking accident. It's hiking on the Appalachian Trail. And uh, I suffered a heat stroke. I had to be airlifted. I was in a coma for three days, had a 15-day hospital stay. Uh, and during that time that I was off, I ended up being off for three months. Not, I didn't use one, one day of sick leave. My, my brothers took all my shifts for me. They, uh, and they, they kept it to our firehouse. Uh, they wouldn't allow anybody else from other firehouses to work. And that's, I mean, the strength of the brotherhood that we have. And we're going to kind of discuss a little bit more in depth. Uh, of course, they wouldn't let me repay any of them. So I said, well, how, how can I repay you? Um, a month prior to my accident, uh, Prince George County Fire Department suffered a line of duty death. Uh, John Skillet Olmschneider was shot and killed in the line of duty. And uh, we had uh, another uh, guy, uh, Chris Hill, uh, who was stage four cancer uh, at the time. And he ultimately passed in July of 2016. So there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of factors leading up. We had a, a member suicide in 2015, multiple deaths. Uh, and all we had was a CISM, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Uh, but the International Association of Firefighters, Firefighters Union, was coming out with uh, a beta test for a peer support program. And a survey was conducted throughout the entire department. And it was, if you, you had something personal that you wanted to talk about, who would you who would you want to talk to? Uh, my name and other names came up multiple times. The union president uh, came to us and said, "Hey, will you guys take this class?" No idea what this class was about. Um, fast forward later, I found out everybody put my name down and thought it was a joke because firefighters a bunch of uh, can I say wise asses on this podcast? Sure, You'll go right ahead. Yes, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, and so they didn't think in 2018 when I became the coordinator of the team and then I was hired by the international association of firefighters as a master instructor, um, that I would really buy in, but I, I went and I started helping people right away. People started coming to me, uh, almost immediately when I took the class and utilizing the resources that we, that we found, um, was huge. Uh, from there I've, um, I've done quite a bit of teaching for the international I've taught almost two dozen classes, um, all around the United States and Canada. Uh, I've served on deployments for the IFF after natural disasters, uh, line of duty deaths, um, and we also get deployed. Uh, you know, my I wasn't on the deployments, but my team uh, went down to the Virginia Beach uh, shooting, uh, mass shooting, um, as well as some other uh, uh, bigger events where it's more than just what one fire department can handle. So, right now, uh, my job with the Prince George County Fire Department, um, I came out of operations. I'm able to do peer support on a daily basis, as well as do providing education um, to for in-service training or recruit schools or officers candidate school, uh, as well as uh, programming. So that's mm -hmm. the life of Mike Wells. Yes, yes, quite an impressive background, and you're doing a lot, Mike. So for therapists and people in the mental health field who have never may not have ever heard of peer support, what what does that look like? Well, I mean, peer support in general is um, just experiencing, being able to, to work with people that have the same experiences. Uh, what I like to tell people is, you know, while the fire department's a job, we're, we're career firefighters, we get a paycheck for it, there's volunteer firefighters, it doesn't matter, it's, it, it's, a, it's a service, but it's also a lifestyle. And it's not only a lifestyle that we're taking on, but when we get hired, our support network also takes on that burden. You know, uh, especially with the way the media works today, uh, information is processed very quickly. 
So when my wife is scrolling through her, uh, you know, Facebook or Twitter while I'm at work, she's seeing, you know, firsthand accounts that there's, um, there's an incident going on and she has no idea if I'm on it or not. And then when, you know, we'll just say that, you know, firefighters injured, well, is that my husband? Is that my, is that my wife? Um, so it's a lifestyle that we're not only burdened with as firefighters that we can only, you know, a lot of times we can only understand like the nuances, just like, you know, the, the job of a therapist, there's a certain nuances that only if you're doing that job, you know, you can help. So, um, that's, that's something that's important with the peer support. And, you know, there's a lot of studies out there that show, um, how effective peer support networks are within industries and within, uh, recovery, really. Mm -hmm. So for firefighters, what's um, what is a typical day typical day like for a firefighter? Well, let's back up for a second, and you know, let's let's look at our personalities and you know okay. the, the traits that kind of make make us up. Um, you know, we we're Type A personalities. Uh, we need to be in control. Um, you know, we're we're being called by the public to go to take care of a chaotic situation a lot of times. So, so that need for control, um, we learn and how to craft that and you can't turn it off. What I like to, what I teach, um, my, you know, the recruits, I say, you know, think about driving on a highway when you're at work, you're driving on the highway, you're cruising, you're hitting cruise control because all the training we, you know, we've provided them with, um, uh, with a mental readiness, you know, that you are going to see some horrible things and this is how you're going to get through it. But then when you leave work, the expectation is now that you have to go and you have to be, you know, fit right back into society like a light switch. Um, what we're trying to do is teach how to do, take the exit ramp, slow down and insert yourself back in society. Um, you know, firefighters, we're obsessive. We want to do the job well. Um, we equate that when we don't do our job or when we mess up, you know, the worst. And what the worst in our, in our industry is, is death. Somebody dies. Um, you know, we're compulsive. We do the same actions over and over. You just ask, you know, what does our typical day look like? Well, I'm checking my equipment. I check my equipment the same exact way every single day. When I went into work, the first thing I would do, I'd put my bag down. I would take my gear out of my locker. I would put it onto the fire apparatus that um, I was working on. And immediately I would make sure everything's in my pocket and my gloves would be in my uh, pants uh, my, of my right leg. I would go and I would make sure that my Nomex hood was in my left pocket. Uh, spare set of gloves in my right pocket, my tools that made sure that my flashlight worked, uh, as well as made sure that I had my knife on my radio strap. You know, from there, I would check my air pack the same exact way. And this goes into training as a pump operator. We teach how to do your process. And, you know, the process comes down to the individual, but it's important to know exactly what you're doing every single time because that in the midst of the chaos, something doesn't go right, you could backtrack and be able to fix your problem relatively quickly. Um, you know, we're highly motivated. We all have internal factors. We're action oriented. And, you know, that, that's not just um, by choice. You know, that comes down to um, biology and our, you know, our need for adrenaline, uh, you know, the, the dopamine and the cortisol, which, you know, we could talk about later on. Um, that's a biological need of our bodies. Um, you know, and that translates into stimulation on and off the job. We're easily bored. We're risk takers. Um, something for therapists to think about is we have a rescue personality. 
you know, that's important when you're trying to treat us, because if we see you went a little bit of, you know, something that we're trying to open up to, and we don't think that you can handle it. You know, I've heard horror stories where guys have had to put, you know, the proverbial (laughs) fire helmet back on um, and help the therapist because the therapist was, was absolutely distraught over the story. I mean, the, the vicarious secondary drama is a real thing. Um, You know, we're highly dedicated. And we have a strong urge to be needed. Um, those are traits that make us up. And then with the, uh, you know, the, the type A personalities, you know, speed is important. We want everything to kind of go and be fixed right away. Going back to the therapist, when you're working with us, we're expecting that we're going to be cured. Um, you know, and that that's gets set in very early on. You know, as a rookie, you're expected to finish your food first, so you could go and you could be ready to clean up after everybody else. Um, whether that's hazing or not, we can have a conversation later. Um, but it, but it just it, it is what it is. Um, you know, we we rush to end sentences. Think of a big family. I have three daughters. Everyone's trying to go and trying to get the attention. Everybody's trying to go and you know get their point across to win the argument. It's the same thing at the firehouse. You're rushing to end your sentence because not only that, we don't know when the bell's going to go off. That's right. Yeah, you know, you've right. been with us. You've been yes. with us at the firehouse. Yes, I've done the ride-alongs and stayed in the station. It was, you know, overnight. It was an incredible experience. Uh, I recommend it for any therapist. Uh, it's not easy. It's, but how many it, times were we in the middle of a conversation? I just cut you off right there. See, that's my type A personality mm-hmm. kicking in. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we're in the middle of a conversation. You, we'd get cut off and we'd have to go to work. Yes. What struck me too, being there, was just there was so much downtime that that you obviously had lots of things to do because you do a lot of training, you do a lot of preparation, like you're talking about to be ready. But there was this perception of this downtime where there wasn't a call, there wasn't anything going on. And at a moment's notice, you had to be ready. And you didn't know what was coming. It could be anything at any time of the day. And the information that you're getting can also lead you to believe that it's something big. But most of the time, it isn't. But your your brain and the in your um, you know, your adrenaline doesn't know what's real and what's not. When I hear house on fire, people trapped, or I hear you know infant in cardiac arrest, mm-hmm. you know that's taking you top, you know high level, and your body doesn't know how to differentiate. You know maybe the infant was just sleeping and it was a new parent that called nine one one. That adrenaline kick still happened. Yes, and you still have to be able to dump. You know that, and you know, so it doesn't turn into cortisol. You know, the high levels of cortisol. And, yes, and how and do you that. discharge all of that? And how? And another thing that uh, struck me was the sleep. You, you, your sleep is, is always going to be challenged because of the very nature of your job and the demands. Well, yeah, yeah. and I think you know, I think that plays really big into um, when we start talking about behavioral health issues that we face. Um, I think a lot of it can go back to sleep and that's where the conversation really needs to start is the uh, lack of sleep. Um, because, you know, for us in Prince George's County, we're on most of us, um, I'm on day work, but most of us are on a 24 hour, 72, 24 hour on 72 hour off shift cycle. Um, so you could potentially be awake for 24 hours and actually more than that, because if you're, if you're on time, you're late you strive to be at least an hour early into work to relieve the, the crews coming off. Um, so, you know, to, to leave my house, to get into work, uh, I would have to leave my house by four thirty, which meant I had to be up by four. Uh, and technically, you know, my shift doesn't start till seven. 
and there was times where I would go and I would, I would stay until seven o'clock just because the call volume. Uh, and then I'm expected to drive home on very little, if not no sleep at all, uh, and go take care of my, my responsibilities, either that of a parent or working a second job or whatever else. I mean, it, you know, going back to the studies, you're, you're legally drunk by the time you've hit 24 hours of, of no sleep. Uh, and we're allowed to work up to 36 hours straight. And so you're really, uh, as a profession, you know, the vast majority are chronically sleep deprived. Yeah, there's actually, um, there's, it's an older study, but um, it's estimated that 80% of firefighters go undiagnosed for some type of sleep, uh, sleep condition, sleep apnea. And what I always tell um, my clients is sleep affects everything. So then there's a cascade of all kinds of other things that, that could even stem or be related to sleep uh, and related to, you know, the very nature of all the stresses that you deal with. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What yeah, are I those think... behavioral health kinds of, you know, where, what else, um, where does that go from there? What, what other kinds of things um, yeah. behavioral health wise go on? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think this whole COVID pandemic really brought anxiety to the surface. Um, going back to, you know, the type A personality and, and the characteristic traits of us, um, one, when COVID hit, nobody in the world had an, any clue as to what, what happened. We have a plan for everything. In the fire department, everything is a plan. If there's, um, you know, a house on fire, there's a plan. It looks like chaos, but it's, it's organized chaos. Uh, when we have uh, some, you know, somebody who has trouble breathing, there's protocols. You go step by step. Uh, when the pandemic happened, there wasn't a plan for it. You weren't sure if you were able to go and kind of insert some of our SOPs as far as biological type stuff or, you know, infectious control, like where did this fall in? Um, so there's quite a bit of anxiety to that. Um, furthermore, you know, I heard a, a lot earlier this year that when people took the job, um, there's the inherited risk that you might possibly die in the line of duty. Unfortunately, in Prince George's County, we've had to see it a couple times to, to believe it. Um, but we never thought that our family could die based upon the job that we did going, you know, into the general public, contracting COVID, bringing it home. Um, that put an anxiety back into our lifestyle and our support networks. Uh, so anxiety is a, is, is a big one. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of people that are listening right now are probably wondering, well, how, how come, you know, what comes next? Well, we'll, we'll talk about PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress. Um, you know, the prevalence of PTSD in the United States is uh, about 7.8% of the general population um, is diagnosed with uh, PTSD. Uh, it's estimated uh, veterans are 11 to 20% uh, diagnosed. And I think uh, we're coming to find that's a little bit, you know, underreported. Um, and in the fire service, it's estimated that, that uh, you know, we have a 20% PTSD diagnosis. And we don't know um, because there's not a whole lot of studies uh, conducted. The, uh, the study that, go and list, that lists these uh, percentages, a little bit older now, 2016. So hopefully there is a little bit more uh, data out there. Um, but I feel like that's probably underreported too. And, you know, in my opinion, um, we need to move past uh, PTSD. Um, you know, the, the problem is, is the stigma associated with it. Um, you know, 
you have PTSD, you're, you're weak, or I'm weak because I have PTSD, or that, um, you know, the stigma associated with you're just looking for a workman's compensation payout. Um, and let's face it, you know, a lot of times uh, we don't we don't even realize that we have signs and symptoms of PTSD because the department thrives on a lot of the the um, a lot of the um, <laughs> the uh, the characteristics of PTSD, and we as firefighters and paramedics um, and, and all first responders are we're resilient people by nature. Um, so you know, I, I think just for stigma's sake, you know, PTSD needs to kind of it's a buzzword right now, and that there needs to be more of a focus on in uh, more studies on post-traumatic growth, um, you know, and then you, you mentioned the word crisis a second ago. And, you know, the big thing with um, that is we as firefighters face crises every day. Um, and so it's kind of hard when we have a personal crisis, you know, we were control freaks. I could get through this. Um, for instance, I had, I had a mayday uh, early on in my career, uh, house fire. And, um, I was advancing my hose line. I fell through a hole in the floor. Didn't have my hose line, my mask kind of got jolted off my face. Um, I didn't have the flashlight. I got ripped off my coat. I was missing a glove. Um, and I debated with myself, do, do I, am I in trouble? Do I even need to call a mayday right now? Like I remember, I remember having that conversation with myself, uh, which is crazy because I think to the, to the normal person, I'm in trouble. I need help. Um, I just thought, you know, my career is going to be over if I made a mistake. And I call a mayday for nothing. Um, you know, so when we're talking about crises, you know, family situations, economic situations, community situations, uh, natural disasters, uh, and significant life events. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be bad stuff either. Um, you know, the birth of a child or uh, retirement. You know, a lot of people think that's, you know, I mean, and it's great things. You work for retirement. We work for retirement. Um, we do family planning and, uh, sometimes, um, mm -hmm. you know, to have children, but you know, that new, new burden of, uh, of a baby in the house, um, you know, creates, creates more stress that might not have been there. Um, when we're talking about crises on the job, uh, specifically, um, I'm trying to move past the term crisis because what's a crisis for me might be completely different from you. And what I'm trying to strive for is calling them potentially traumatic events, um, PTEs, uh, because I think that's, you know, when, when an incident happens, um, I find a lot of people are wondering, you know, I don't feel anything. So there, there must be something wrong. Um, you know, and, and to, what can lead us into those is line of duty deaths, uh, you know, critical injured firefighters, suicides of coworkers, um, which unfortunately happens um, more than we wanted to in the fire service. Uh, you know, mass casualty incidents, terror and biological terror, um, dead or severely injured uh, children, and I just talked about maydays and uh, near misses. I mean, these are these are the realities of the job. Um, and what we need to do is we need to focus on you know the stress level before the crisis. Um, you know, we have a responsibility, you and I specifically, of teaching. Um, you know firefighters and paramedics, you know, coping techniques and, and how to view the problem. Um, because again, what you might view as a problem might not really be a problem for me. I can handle this. Um, 
you know, and, and the losses that, you know, the result of an event and, um, you know, our age of life experience really plays um, a role into what we're going through. I know as a young kid uh, on the job, you know, death of children, yeah, it, was, it's, it sucked, but I didn't have anything to relate it to. Now, I have, I have three little girls at home. It's easily relatable. Um, you know, it, what does our support system look like? And I think talking to therapists like we're doing now, um, that should be a key question because the support system might not be at home. You know, when I run a critical incident or a potential traumatic event, say I just corrected myself, um, you know, can I go home and, and talk to my, to my spouse or my family about this? A lot of times the answer is no. Right. But do you um, want to, right? Exactly. You want to be, be able to, to leave that out, you know, not bring it home. So, and exactly, and, and there lies the importance of a peer support network. Um, and, and with, you know, the peer support network, we've, we've, we've had it forever. This isn't a new concept. It's been in the fire service, uh, it's been oldest time. It's just, we never associate it with mental health. Um, and that's what we are, we're, we're kind of the bridge between um, the fire service and the behavioral health world. Um, our team, if you want to kind of go into that right now, um, yes. You know, we have a resource list that has, you know, vetted resources that we know that have experience working with first responders, specifically firefighters. They understand, you know, these characteristic traits that I just discussed. Um, and when I go and I identify a problem at work with one of my coworkers, we can now point it out and say, hey, we're identifying this problem. It seems as if you need, you know, to either just talk about it. And then when we are talking about it, me as the peer supporter, I could say, well, wait a minute, like this is a little bit out of my league. Um, let's go bring this to a professional and we could go to a professional and get it taken care of and we could assist, you know, walk the, uh, the person through the process. Uh, yes. And we're having a lot of success with that. That's, yes, that's fantastic. And what I see right there, especially at that critical point, you know, I see that as such an opportunity for, so, so say a brother or sister uh, in the fire service you, they've talked with a peer and they're agreeing or, you know, deciding to go see a therapist. That is a critical opportunity uh, because who they end up seeing and how that experience goes can really shape their life. It can determine whether they will be in therapy, ever go to therapy again, uh, will benefit from therapy. It's that, those, that first experience in the therapy office those first few sessions um, that, that are so important for somebody who maybe had never thought about therapy or was really, you know, had a lot, of, a lot of trepidation around therapy. What are some of the things that therapists need to know about that, you know, about a first responder, about a, a firefighter coming in to see them for the very first time? What are some of the, the things that they should know? Well, kind of going back to um, what I was just explaining with um, when I didn't, when I didn't want to recognize that I had a mayday and reach out for help. Uh, we find that quite a bit in the peer support world where people are waiting until they're in crisis to go and to get help. And the expectation that we have um, in finding a therapist is irrational. We, um, we are used to when people have a crisis, we drop what we're doing, we go and we fix said crisis for the general public. So when we're in crisis, we expect there to be people that, you know, we go and we call and then 
<laughs> you know, a phone, you know, somebody picks up the phone and we start getting help right away. Um, through education, we're trying to relay to people, you can't wait to be in crisis because that's not how the behavioral health world works. Right. Um, you know, if you as a therapist do have an opportunity to, you know, pick up calls like that um, or work in a crisis center, you know, that that is huge and that's something that we do need. Um, but also, you know, engaging in relationships with uh, peer support networks and fire departments is huge. Um, and doing education as to what the therapy process looks like, you know, something as simple as verification of insurance. It takes a little bit of time. Um, and if people understand, yes, it does. <laughs> if people understand that, you know, this is going to take a couple of days, um, you know, in the meantime, you know, here is the number to the uh, you know, national suicide prevention hotline. Here is the phone number to your peer support, you know, to kind of be that bandaid until we can get you into an appointment. Um, that's huge. And then also, you know, I think back to the times that you and I have gone on station visits, people are a little weirded out. It's intimidating. Um, I can only imagine how intimidating it was for you to walk into a firehouse, but it, you know, believe it or not, all of those, you know, big, tough guys and girls sitting around the kitchen table, um, they're intimidated by you because they think that you all have magical powers uh, and, and that you're going to go and you're going to get them to start talking about their relationship with their moms. And, you know, they're, you're, you're going to get them on a couch and they're going to go and spill their guts. And, you know, obviously, you know, we all know that that's not how the process is done anymore, <laughs> if ever. And, um, you know, we need to go, we need to have a little bit more education within the fire service as to what it looks like, you know, what a session, what to expect, because, we do fear the unknown more than that of the general public. Uh, yes. We like to have everything kind of planned out for us. Yes. And with that being said, all of the strengths, all the personality characteristics that, that you have um, in general, that brings a lot of strengths into therapy, you know, and being able to do some work in therapy to, you know, important things like being able, you know, being task oriented, for example, is really important. And that could, that could really help make therapy successful. Oh, 100%. And we see that all the time. The hardest part we find is getting somebody into the door first and then sticking with you. And then and here, here is the other problem is when we start making progress, we think we're cured and we might not be at the finish line just yet. Um, so keeping us engaged in order to go and to, to finish up the process um, it, it is definitely going to be key. And again, that's where education comes in, but you're absolutely right just based upon our personalities, we want to get better. We want to, generally speaking, we want to, fi we want to fix the problem. We want to get back on the front lines. The worst thing to happen to us is uh, you telling us we can't do our job, which that doesn't happen in a lot of professions, I don't think. Right, right. But that's a fear that because you want to be able to stay on the job, do your job, that sort of thing. Yeah. So being, um, so as far as types of therapies go, so really action-oriented therapies. It sounds like structured therapies that, that you know, solution-focused sorts of approaches. That sort of thing, you know, is really, you know, goes over well. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I believe so. I mean, there's more studies out there, and I think it's all kind of situational. I know um, we're talking about trauma, EMDR. There's a lot of success with that. And uh, when we're working with therapists, you know, we try to have a trauma therapy. Uh, we ask them to have a little bit of a trauma therapy in their background to understand kind of what we're going through. But um, 
you know, I, I know a lot of um, uh, CBT kind of, you know, is, is very successful as well um, amongst our uh, rank and file. And, you know, um, you know, you and I have discussed biofeedback quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely a you know, place for that as well. Yes, that's right. Being able to, and, and also things where you can kind of link um, and understand what's going on in the mind and the body, um, connect it maybe with the stress response, what they're experiencing, just helping them understand and how to regulate, kind of self-regulate yep. and empower, empower them because of your need for control, right? That'll, that will work really well. Yeah, I mean, I think you summed that up really well. Using the word empowerment, like that's what we're kind of looking for, and we we want to gain control. A lot of times, by the time when we're coming to you, we're not in control, and we want to get that control back. Are mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, there types of therapists, qualities about therapists that would make it make them not so good uh, working with this population? What are some of the things you've heard and learned so far about that? Um, kind of going back to the um, to the front desk type stuff uh, we get you know a lot of the complaints that we do get when we link somebody up with a therapist is uh, either the timeliness um, or the, the insurance process um, not getting a phone call back you know just a simple phone call back and, and there's reasons for everything and I'm hearing it from one side uh, of the fence but again that's that's our expectation we're taking the expectation that's brought upon us, you know, and looking outward facing, and that's our expectation of everybody else. Um, you know, I think uh, in order to be a therapist for first responders, um, and you could probably put military into that too, is self-care for your, yourselves. You, you're going to be exposed to quite a bit of uh, vicarious and secondary trauma. Um, you need to be in the, the right frame of mind. Um, you know, I don't know, I guess we could share it. We, we had another firefighter that was passing away of cancer uh, and we were in the firehouse uh, conducting um, station visits and that just wasn't the time or place. And I think the emotion of everybody else kind of caught you, if you don't mind me saying, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a little off guard was, was very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, making sure that you're not going to be triggered um, by that and that, you know, um, the follow through, if you're going to say that, you know, you're going to do something for us, then make sure that the follow through is important. At least that's the expectation I have of my team. And that's where we've had our success is we've been uh, successful to follow through and kept up with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and being able, I know you've mentioned this before, for a therapist, being able to tolerate or hear trauma, or talking about trauma or traumatic event, but the, the detail around it. There might be, you know, some really difficult things to have to, to hear as they're hearing stories and working on, um, you know, the trauma or experiences you all have had. Yeah, hundred percent. And also another thing too, is, is knowing the nuances about us. I mean, we're not, I don't think there, there shouldn't be an expectation that, you know, a therapist knows our job. Um, but having a general understanding of what a rank structure is, the vehicles that we use, the tools that we use. So that way, you know, you don't have to stop us and, and say, well, how come you had to talk to a battalion chief? You know, having an understanding that, you know, there's a chain of, there's a chain of command, there's a hierarchy of, of how we operate. Um, that way, a session can kind of easily flow and you don't have to go and try to under, learn what the job is as you go. And, and that's, 
you know, relatively simple. I mean, I know time is money, um, but taking a day to go to a firehouse, um, right now it's kind of tough with COVID, um, I'm sure wherever you're listening. Um, but when, when this thing does pass, you know, go to a firehouse. If there's one thing about firefighters and paramedics, we love our job so much. We want to tell everybody all about mm-hmm. it. You, you know, mm-hmm. you've, you've been to trainings and, you know, you've yes. been into, you've been into the fire, the burn building with us. And everybody thought that was the coolest thing. You got, you got street cred. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, that was such an amazing experience. Mike, can you describe what that, that, and that was an extreme. Okay. I started out, you know, uh, uh, basically visiting and things like that. And then I, you know, went to this burn building and that was kind of the far extreme. I think I told you, okay, I really got a lot out of that, but I'm never doing that again. <laughs> it was yeah, a lot. So, so yeah, for the listeners, so Dr. Town, uh, she started when I, she came to my firehouse. Um, I got to, I got to post the video online somewhere so it could be easily accessible. Um, she, she came in at a shift change. She spent 24 hours with us. Uh, the firehouse I was at my job that day was to um, think of Cosmo Kramer and Seinfeld drive the back of the ladder truck. Um, that's, that's what my job was. We got Dr. Talent to get back there. She actually got to uh, steer the back of the back of the ladder truck. We got her to climb ladders. It was awesome. Um, don't worry. You all don't have to do that. If you're, if you're uncomfortable, <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> but uh, she, she got to see that. And then it progressed to earlier this year, um, the recruits were doing a burn and they do evolutions and, you know, to feel heat and, you know, get to practice their tactics. And uh, Dr. Talent got suited up and uh, she went in and she was able to, uh, to see how fire starts, how it, yes. you know, how it goes through its growth stages. Um, we tucked ourselves away in a corner. I had a little, you know, camera cause it's smoky. You really can't see that well. Um, but we have a thermal imager camera and uh, she pointed out when the temperature, she asked, you know, what was the number like 1327 I think it was and mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. like an idiot I went and I told her oh it's a temperature in here <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right boy that freaked me out saucers and uh yeah. but she did great she did great yeah. in the, the buy-in to all the recruits all the instructors all the adjunct instructors that were there um as well as the chief officers were like wow that's that's pretty cool she she wants to understand our job so much and she's willing to go into a burning building that's it's crazy Mm-hmm. It, it was an unforgettable experience for sure. I didn't quite know what I was getting into at the whole, the whole thing, but you know, I got suited up and you all have, so how many pounds of gear? Um, so just with our, with our gear, and this is for firefighters, I mean, paramedics, they're carrying bags, um, which are basically suitcases up and down steps and, and, and everything else. Uh, a firefighter uh, is carrying uh, upwards, just, just the gear on their back, 50 pounds. Uh, you put on the air pack. You're looking at 75, and then you got to lug around tools. And um, you saw, I mean, you, you know, those those recruits. The expectation was that they were basically athletes, uh, climbing in and out of windows, uh, crawling around, you know, quickly. Um, you know, because you get you have to move fast in order to go and you know find victims, in order to go and complete your tasks, so other people complete their tasks, find the seat of the fire of the fire, so it doesn't progress. Um, again, so going back to like the personality traits, like you kind of see you were able to see how it gets built right there on the training ground. Yes. Yes. And uh, one other thing from, from my perspective, visiting the firehouse and, you know, as a newbie, not having had that live that lifestyle or anything, I could, you know, feel that adrenaline surge that kept coming and I could see how over the years that changes you, you know, it changes the physiology. You're not going to react in the same way or, um, 
you know, it, it, it over time, you know, it takes its toll. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, going back to education, and this might be where you get involved as a therapist in your local fire department, is there's a need for education. There's a need for, um, you know, explain to firefighters about their personalities, because most of us don't even realize our personality traits and how that's not normal, if they're, you know, if normal is such a word. Um, also, too, like, uh, you know, we kind of beat ourselves up. I, I remember um, I was upset when my grandfather passed away in 2010. I was a 20-something-year-old, you know, firefighter, I had four or five years on the job, uh, and, and yeah, I, I watched him pass away in his hospital bed. Um, and to me, it was another call. And I think it upset my father a little bit, um, my callousness um, to it. But I've seen that happen hundreds of times um, at that point in my life. Um, you know, that emotional intelligence and how we change as human beings and how that translates to the job. Again, going back to post-traumatic growth. Um, that might be a little bit of an explanation and, you know, not only education for said firefighter or paramedic, but also the family. That's something that, you know, right now I'm not doing a good job at. And, um, I, that's an avenue that I need to go and reach and explain, you know, what the family's basically getting into by being a part of this. Yes. That, that's the thing that's so exciting for me as a therapist. And, and I really want to share it with all therapists out there is the opportunity right now. We're at such an important time. There's such a need. There's such a need to come together. And um, I love that word bridge, you know, where the peer, the peer support is that bridge between the fire service and behavioral health. And, you know, there's a need there for therapists to step up. It's like a call to action for us to really do our part, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and actually, next, next year, the uh, International Association of Firefighters, again, the Firefighters Union, they, they're all over, the, you know, all over North America. Um, they're going to be conducting probably an online uh, learning portal. They have an online learning portal, but they're going to be um, creating a, a, a clinician culturally competence course for, um, for you all. And the CEUs are going to be offered um, you know, to go into um, for more information on that. I'm sure your website or, um, you know, the IFF's website, uh, www.iff.org, um, would have more information on. There's a behavioral health tab. Just go to that. Um, but that'll be a great opportunity for, for you therapists to just understand what our job is, um, you know, while COVID's going on. But I highly urge you, once, once a vaccine comes out and once you're able to get out, um, you know, in your community, just stop by the firehouse, schedule a tour, see if they have a peer support team. That'll be your end if they have a peer support team, because those individuals will have a little bit of training um, to be able to have a conversation with you more so than, you know, your average uh, firefighter, fire officer, paramedic that's sitting on the floor. They're going to have no idea why you're there. They're going to be intimidated by you, so you're not going to get very far, maybe. <laughs> but I, I found, I mean, absolutely, that that um, there's such a... That, that, you, you're very welcoming, you know, for therapists and, and want to talk and want, you know, are very, you know, willing to work with us and talk with us, especially when we reach out. I think it makes a big difference. Oh, that relationship's huge. Yeah, I mean, can't stress that enough. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, th thank you for all this, you know, important information. It, it's, um, you know, we could go on and on, and I definitely want to talk with you in the future more about some of these more specific topics, too. There's a lot to cover. One more question for you, um, as far as the, um, what we've talked about today. What's the, um, 
a take-home message that you would like to give to therapists and people working in the mental health field about firefighters? Yeah, you know, um, I guess the take-home is establish relationships um, within your community, um, and not even just with firefighters, but police, um, first responders. You know, right now it's kind of a you know, the essential workers have become a cliche term, but, um, yeah, those relationships are, are key because you, you might be working with them on the front lines the way that the, that the social worker workforce is going. Um, you, you know, I, I'm all about relationships and we might not talk, but you know what, when, um, there is a crisis going on, um, when you have a firefighter from somewhere else coming to you and you don't know where to go and they need a little bit more, um, as far as therapy, we're always willing to help one another out, a brother or sister out. Um, so that might be a tool for you as a therapist to go and you know, find somebody in a different department um, because you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, make sure you're qualified to work with us. There, there's no shame if you, know, you say, this isn't for me. Like I, I didn't sign up to hear this type of trauma. I didn't sign up to deal with the, this type of uh, marriage counseling. Um, you know, like I said, there's, there's horror stories out there about firefighters putting clinicians into crisis. Um, and, and again, you know, you shouldn't put yourself in that position for yourself, but also it's damaging firefighters from reaching out and getting help. Um, it, it's a lot of responsibility on your part um, because one bad experience might prevent this person from getting help uh, in the future. And then, you know, the biggest thing is practice what you preach with uh, self-care. I'm a gigantic hypocrite right now as I'm saying this, but uh, you get on me all the time about it. Well, a um, lot of therapists are too. That's something else that's important to talk about, which I will in the future. Yeah. We, we, yeah, um, but it's, yeah. it's, it's that important. So I, I guess really those are my, my take-homes. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for talking with me today and for sharing all this information. I'll be um, posting some uh, links and information about the um, peer support program and IFF and things like that for therapists to find out some more information. Yeah, and I'll uh, link my, um, my team's website on there as well. And uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or if you want to work with our team. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. inspiring as I did. Wherever you are as a therapist, you're likely to have many first responders, including firefighters and paramedics who need your services. Right now, all across the country, there's a movement underway to get first responders connected with therapists. This movement is really a grassroots movement occurring from within the fire service itself called peer support. All across the country right now, peer support programs are developing resource lists of therapists who are ready and willing to work with first responders to help them cope with the stresses of their jobs and their daily lives and to work on issues around trauma. Make sure you check out the show notes about Mike and what his peer support program is up to at www.thetherapycafe.com backslash podcast. We look forward to bringing you more information about working with first responders in your practice in the future. Thanks so much for listening. This is Dr. Kathleen Talent at the Therapy Cafe podcast, signing off until next time.